but I'm going to give it a subtopic that, or a subtitle that's actually a little bit more lengthy. It says, How Should the Life and Teachings of Christ Affect Our Political Viewpoints? How many believe that's a fair thing to talk about here today? How should the life and teachings of Christ affect our political viewpoints as we choose a life? Father, I love you, and I'm so honored to be in this house. And man, the people of God, Father, are passionate in their pursuit after you. And God, we've been charged by the worship team. We've been charged by two separate exhortations. We've been charged, Father, by the video that we viewed to, be, uh, to allow our voice to be heard. Let our light be seen, Father, and we pray even now that this message that I speak today, that I believe you have written first on the fabric of my heart, God, or the tablet of my heart, that even now, as I minister it, God, it will be written deep in the recesses of the souls of those who listen. God, I thank you. We're going to choose life, that we may live, and that our, not just us, but our seed after us. And everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for your reverence before the Word of God. Again, visitors, we can't tell you how much we are excited to have you in service with us. And that includes those that are joining us by Facebook Live. We have noted that during COVID, overnight, we all became televangelists. And in that context, we have a much broader audience than previously. Previously, I might preach to 200 people, adults, to 220 somewhat times, 250 on big Sundays here at First Assembly, but now I'm preaching to four, five, six hundred online with the 200 or so, 150 to 200 that we preach here at First Assembly. And so we're very thankful that you have chosen to uh, worship God with us. Now, I personally understand that you and I are inundated with political rhetoric. How many believe that? Just, I mean, there are times you just... You're often just overwhelmed of it, even to the degree you just get sick of it. I'm just being honest now, that's right. And then there are times you come to church, and you hope that church is going to be your escape. I mean, like, I'm going to escape. This is my escape zone. It's going to be where we worship God, and we learn about biblical truth, and we're going to avoid political overlap. And then you come to Heber First Assembly, where you are confronted with a ruggedly handsome preacher who preacheth, thank you somebody, thank you. There's one important amen I was needing out there. The preacher preaches, listen to this, his beliefs. Now you can drive out of here last Sunday and say, those are his beliefs. You can say, absolutely, those are his beliefs. I get it. I get it. I understand that you're like, I just wish that church would be this. But, but here's the reality. As a pastor, I feel compelled to address the issues that are cultural and political that are relevant to each one of us. I mean, when I search the scriptures, what is the purpose of a prophet if he is not lifting up his voice, addressing the issues that are affecting his culture? And my question is, as we take you deeper here shortly, is it very warm in here today? It feels like it is. One of y'all might help me. Now, don't, 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 make, don't make them the chosen frozen. Just slowly cool the sweat of their brow just a little bit. Um, but, you know, I'm going to look at it in the lens of Jesus here in just a moment of time. So, now, I don't believe that the state should be entirely secular. Can I say that? I don't believe the state should be entirely secular where everybody that's making decisions that affect 
that are, not everybody, but where the governmental leaders that are making decisions that affects the lives of everyone should be entirely secular. There should be voices of conscience. There should be voices of the church, right? There should be light even in the dark place. Should not be void of light. Now, you and I understand that both religion and government are ordained of God. We believe that. We study the scriptures. We believe that we should collectively come together for worship, don't we? We don't believe that you should just avoid coming to church, uh, you know, in your solitary place of worship. You should come in a place of public worship, adding your agreement, loosing your gift, and your calling. Equally, we recognize there is the need for human government. We have to have order. We have to live in a society of laws. God's the author of laws. God's the, from his natural laws to spiritual laws. So we recognize that we have a need for both. We need religious uh, uh, connection and we also need governmental, uh, you know, work in our lives as well. Now the reality is, is that both government and religion over the 6,000 years of human history at times have been responsible for the brutal deaths of countless people over the years. But also, let me just say this, so too has been the absence of religion. Or even the absence of government. Many untold thousands perish annually without the aid of government or religion. You don't have to be a government employee or a religious zealot to be uh, violent and brutal, correct? And so as Christians... We're trying to find that, rock, that, that, that right place. We're trying to connect. We want to be supportive concerning the role of government. We always say, I want to have the right worldview. I want to search the scriptures. If I'm going to be on a political platform, one or the other, if I'm going to support a political party, if I'm going to vote for a particular people, I want it to be consistent with my values that I have gained as I've studied the word of God. And, that, and as Christians, there ought to be more uniformity than what we see happening right now in the United States. Now, I've told you many times, I'll say it one more time, that the United States is no longer the divided state, or no longer united, we are divided. I don't know if we'll ever be united in one common go, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I don't know if we'll ever achieve that again, but there's no excuse for the body of Christ not to be more unified than we are right now. And I've made this statement before that the church could dictate the outcome of every legal legally conducted election in the United States if we could come together in agreement, right? And so when you begin to form a worldview, when you get serious about this, when something happens inside you and you say, all right, Pastor Brown, I understand you, I hear you, I'm going to get in the scriptures and I'm going to start studying the scriptures here. You know, one of the things you always find yourself drawn to is the government of ancient Israel. You start looking there because we see the common thread throughout the scripture, God dealing with the, first it was a family, the family of Abraham, but it eventually became, when he brought them out of Egyptian bondage, a nation. When they met at the base of Mount Sinai, and the lone prophet of God ascended into the uh, presence of God. Moses, he came down, he's known as the lawgiver. He came down with the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but he came down with instructions for the children of Israel of how that they would relate to one another. It was simply a form of government. Now, re the reality is, as we look into it, we can see that there were divine principles that were revealed in God's instruction to and his interaction with that nation of Israel. Now, actually, many believe, now the re we recognize this, our founding fathers did not replicate the government of ancient, of ancient Israel. 
They looked intently, and they gleaned, and they learned, but they did not replicate. Actually, many believe that as Israel was a light to the nations concerning monotheism, I can't say it correctly at times, and polytheism, which is a plurality of gods versus a singular god, as ancient Israel had a light towards the truth that there was one God, the founding fathers, many of which are the founding fathers of America, believed that the purpose of America was to be a light to freedom versus tyranny and oppression. Can we make that contrast one more time for a moment? There are many that believe that in the hearts of the founding fathers, not all, but certainly some, that as ancient Israel was called to be a light to the many nations, the many nations worshipped a plurality of gods. But Israel knew that there was one true God, and God had called Israel to be a light to the nations, correct? Did you know the temple of, of ancient Israel, that the, that the windows were, were inverted in such a way that the, it wasn't to allow light into the most holy place, it was just the opposite. It was that it was made, it was been formed and fashioned by the craftsmen to let the light that's in the temple out as signifying that light would go out of the temple, lighting the path for people that sat in darkness to the knowledge of the one true God. Right? And as Israel had that destiny, there were many of our founding fathers that believed that America was being raised up to be a light to the people that were under oppressive governments and that we could have freedom. And so today, though, as we look at this, we want to see, all right, now we look at ancient Israel first. Yes, you get your worldview looking at ancient Israel, God's interaction with them. There was a lot of failure with ancient Israel. But then we also look to Christ, don't we? As Christians, we look to Jesus. Now, Jesus was a radical. I mean, he was an activist at all different levels. And so we're going to kind of go through that lens over the next few weeks and we're going to look to his teaching to better understand government's role in everyday human affairs and then our response to it. We do this today. Now, we're very, if you're not careful, here's what we find the church often doing. On one side, they make Jesus into a blue-shaded democratic socialist, or we make him into a red-shaded conservative capitalist. And let me tell you the reality is he was neither. Let me tell you what Jesus was. He was the mediator between God and man. There was one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He came to give himself a ransom for all, right? He came to be the atoning sacrifice. The old English says the propitiation. It means that he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, that no man has access to the presence of God unless he comes through Christ. He said it with himself, with his own mouth. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So today, you're seated here listening to this preacher on Facebook Live or here today in this audience. If you say, Pastor, I want to have communion and fellowship with God, can I get it through the church? Absolutely not. Can I get it through any other type of religious uh, historical figure? Absolutely not. There is one man, one singular entity who came to reveal to you the heart of the Father and expose the life of God revealed in his own interactions with mankind. And then he knew that you were still sinful and there would be no way for you to have access to God's eternal presence unless he paid something that needed to be paid on your behalf. You were caught in the bondage of sin. There was a sin debt upon each one of us and you had no means to pay it. 
And so Christ gave the most valuable thing that had ever been in the structure of the earth. And it wasn't gold or titanium. It wasn't platinum or silver. It was his atoning blood. It was the rarest of all. There had only been another like it, and that was in Adam. And Adam had all long since passed away, and his blood had become tainted. But the blood of Christ, untainted by man, that was the blood of the Father flowing through his veins on the cross that we call Calvary there is when the balance was tipped in our favor and God said I will receive the man because of the man Christ Jesus come on somebody he's neither Republican or Democrat he gave his life's blood for us glory to God right I feel that I could just preach on that now but I am preaching on that let's just connect we're not going to separate it so our responsibility is to look intently to his life and to learn from his teaching and his lifestyle and allow it to shape part of, if not all, of our worldview. How many of you know as a believer you should have a worldview? You can't sit back and let the secular world think for you because they will. And our guys here on the platform tell you you need to open your mouth. See, because if you remain silent, somebody will speak for you. And somebody may say something for you that is not uh, in harmony with your teachings that, that, that are deep in your heart. So you've got to go to the Word of God. You look first at the life of, of ancient Israel, God's interaction with them. But then you see and you narrow it through the person of Christ. And you allow that to shape your worldview. Now, of note, let me say this. When I say that I'm going to talk about the teachings of Jesus or the following his life, it begins in the Gospels, but it also continues through his epistles. There are a lot of people that in trying to paint Jesus again as a, uh, in one sense, a, a socialist who, who gives away all of his assets and everything and, and rewards slothfulness and laziness and those kind of things in, in the scriptures. We, we just follow him entirely in his life, but you can't just stop right there because he told his apostles, he said, I want you to go and teach them everything that I've commanded you. So if we're really saying we're going to follow the teachings of Jesus, we don't just stop at the end of John's gospel, but we continue it through the pens of the apostles who wrote the things that they heard him say. Are y'all out there today? So now just tuck that away. We won't really be in there today, but we will before this series is over. So is it possible to look at some of the major political issues that have divided the country and then ask authentically how they relate to Christ his teaching, and how it should affect our political affiliation. Can, is that fair to ask that question? Is it possible? Am I able to do that and not turn this into a political rally? I actually believe that I am because I've spent time in prayer. I've sought counsel. I've asked people to speak into my life. I made two trips this week for people that might give me uh, that might help temper me. And you understand what the word temper means in that moment of time? It can be temperance, can be self-control. It's also a term used in the heating up of metal to make sure it doesn't, you know, have a hardness but then shatter when it's actually used. So I went to two individuals. I went first to Dr. Brassfield. I sat with him. I shared with him some things that were on my heart. I asked for his counsel. I asked for his instruction. And so he and I interacted, and, and he's going to be preaching for us on December the 6th. Hopefully he's going to talk about some of the things that I'll be talking about talking about over the next few weeks and then I made an appointment with the district superintendent of the Arkansas Assemblies of God brother Larry Moore unfortunately when I met him I didn't meet him in Little Rock I met him in Russellville at Russellville First Assembly where the pastor is brother Ronnie Morris and he is the assistant 
superintendent. So I had an hour and a half meeting with both of them, which I clarified for them certain political viewpoints and how that I believe that God's using me at whatever level my voice is to be counterculture, to speak light, to speak truth. And I wanted them to hear it first. I wanted them to know that the church has been intimidated for a lot of years about pastors have not been have been afraid to lift up their voices in certain areas because of the Johnson Amendment that has muted the pastors from speaking many times about political issues. But I told them, guys, I said, I told them, I said, sirs, let me tell you that we are far beyond that in the generation in which we live right now. We are far beyond this, and they, 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 they honored my passion. They spoke some good things to me. I shared with them about why I wear this black shirt. Uh, Brother Moore, that was new to him. He had never heard of the Black Robe Regiment, but he knows about it now. And I told him, I said, Brother Moore, I'd like for you to encourage the pastors. Maybe they don't have to do it every Sunday, but two or three times a year, they ought to put on a black suit, a black shirt, and they ought to connect to the history of the United States where the clerics, the, the ministers, charged people to be active in the political arena. All right, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting. That's all right. Now, listen, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and deal with one by one, but just one today, some of the issues that have divided not just the nation but the church. Now, I'll put it in as, as spiritual and yet as culturally relevant of a context as I can to help you understand because my goal is to reach out and maybe to help somebody who's thinking that I believe could be skewered and I might help them to see something that they had not contemplated previously. And I want to talk today about abortion. Abortion. You know, the new softer way of saying it is women's rep reproductive rights. Have you noticed that? That very seldom today through either the media or through the, the democratic um, uh, platform, the term has been, they'll occasionally use the term abortion, but it's women's reproductive rights. And so that's, you, when I start with this one, I'm going to start today with the first of what I call the two main moral issues, but I won't end right there, is that this is a difficult one because you and I do not have an exact text or example in Jesus' teaching to address it, correct? We don't have an exact text, so, but, but, but maybe there's more than what you think, though. We'll see if we can get there. Now, first of all, uh, today, as a pastor, I always recognize that whenever you, 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 meant, you speak about this very, very um, sensitive subject, you risk the possibility that there might be somebody that's under the sound of your voice, unknown to any of us, who maybe had an abortion earlier in their life. And then the pastor's preaching about it in such a way, and maybe you had sought the Lord, maybe, maybe that there was a sense of conviction and, and at later years, and there's been repentance and forgiveness. And I'm, I want you to know I'm not trying to bring any guilt or condemnation upon anyone here today. I thank God for that atoning blood of, of Christ that forgives us from all sin today. But I can't allow the potential of offending someone rob me of strengthening and educating our church, correct, and the broader audience. So, so please bear with me on that. Now, as a woman in creation, the woman has the right, the privilege, and then the responsibility of caring created human life, differentiating her from the man. You know, I've teased before, and I said God said uh, through Adam, woe man, right, remember? That's how he named her in the scriptures, woe man, because she was the most beautiful of all the creation that, God, that Adam had seen up until that point. Amen? Come on, men. Will y'all work with me here today? You guys are way behind. Thank you. Thank you. But actually, it simply means womb man. He has the capacity to carry life. Her choice is, listen to her choice, because it's pro-choice or pro-life. 
Her choice is, unless she is forcibly raped, and yes, tragically that does happen. Unless she is forcibly raped, her choice, though, is sexual intercourse. And the baby that then is conceived in her womb is the consequence, not the choice. So the argument that the pro-choice makes against the pro-life belief is that life begins in the womb. That's the pro-life belief, correct? Life begins in the womb. But the pro-choice is, is that life does not begin till after birth. That up until birth, until that time, in their view, the unborn child is but a fetus. Human tissue connected to the body of the mother, a part of the mother's body. That's why there's the rhetoric always, don't try to tell me what I can do with my body. And so the mother can then at any moment discard surgically that fetus, as they call it, from her womb akin to weight loss surgery. We live in a generation where weight loss surgery and you can go in under the knife and emerge and you've lost 10, 15, 20 pounds. No dieting or anything, just surgery. Well, in that same context, that's what's being, to one degree, uh, being shared from the viewpoint of pro-choice. It's a part of the woman's body. It's not separate human life. And she can, she can uh, extinguish its life at any particular time. So to teach pro-life through Jesus directly through his teaching it's difficult because obviously he did not address abortion on demand hello obviously when you search the scriptures now he did instruct about not offending a little one right he did say it'd be better for you to put a millstone about your neck and to drown in the sea than it would be to offend a little one right but let's go a little bit farther with that he did bless the children Right when they brought little children unto him. And actually one passage says the infants. They brought even infants unto him. But, there, but is there a text that we can say, you know what, this here helps bring clarity to us concerning whether life begins in the womb or outside of the womb. That's what we're trying to wrestle with today. And the objective that I have in my heart is I'm not preaching to the world. See, the world's mind is blinded by the God of this world. But I'm preaching to the church. I'm preaching to my African-American brothers and sisters who are on a platform that wholly and wholeheartedly supports abortion. And that's the only thing oftentimes that distinguishes them, the African-American church, from our views and, and, and our pursuits. And yet, unfortunately, in my personal opinion, they don't allow, they don't allow pro-life to be the deciding factor of who they choose to vote for. So I hope, I hope somebody shows this. I hope somebody might just accidentally be watching before Facebook has it removed and somebody watches it and maybe it can just help one person. You just never know. You don't know who this will go out to. So there is a text, though, that I want to talk about. I'm going to show you here in just a few moments. I'm going to build it up before if I can. It's actually, we can discover it through the lives of two pregnant women, whether or not God views life begins in the womb or outside the womb. But we're going to first go back in time, days of ancient Israel. It's, time, it's actually kind of that intermediate period between the Old and the New Covenant. It comes to us through Luke's pen, Luke's gospel. It tells the story about a preacher, a preacher like me. He's, uh, um, he's not the high priest, but he's a priest. And in those days, there were a lot of, let me just share this with you if I can, as God put it in my heart. 
And so in those days, there were a lot of priests. And so you know how we kind of take order on the platform. Shane might exhort, Joe might exhort, Jace might exhort. I come along and preach. Well, they had enough priests in those days that you didn't serve continually in the temple, but you had rotation. So they called it course in the King James. And so it drew near for it was the time of the, uh, of the annual calendar for a man, a priest, who was of the priestly lineage, his wife, uh, his, his wife was actually of the Aaronic priesthood lineage, so they had been married in that same lineage together, so they both, both had priestly lineage, and so it was time for him to go to the temple and burn incense. And the Bible plainly tells us about them. His name is Zechariah, and his, uh, her name is Elizabeth. And the Bible says that Elizabeth had been barren when she was young. She had been barren. It seems like Zechariah had the ability to produce seed, but her womb, the Bible plainly says, she had been the one who was barren. And now, by the time we discover about who they are, the Bible says that, that she had been barren, but now she's old, and he's old, and they're both, listen to this, B-O-T-H, are both well-stricken in years. And so it came time for Zechariah to go to the temple, and it was an honor to do so, and he's going to burn incense in the holy place. Not the most holy place, but the holy place. Are you all out there today? And so he's going to burn incense, and it's a sacred honor to do so. And he goes in with his incense, and he's about his business, and he's got, he's got you know, the golden altar of incense against the curtain in the holy place, and that's where he's offering the incense. He's got the, uh, the, the, the table of shoe bread. He's got the menorah, the golden candlestick, and the the great curtain that separates the outer court from the inner court has been drawn close. He's in there totally by himself, so he supposed when he is startled by the presence of a glorious being, an angel of God has been sent from heaven to a man named Zechariah. And he speaks to Zechariah and he says this. He says, Zechariah, he says, the Lord has heard your prayer. What prayer? I'm sure that's what we pray. All right, you know, I'm getting ready for retirement. Is it a house? Did you hear my prayer? I'm looking for a, a new house on the golf course. Right there, I don't know what, maybe a little. I don't know. What prayer are you talking about? He said, the Lord has heard your prayer, and God's going to give you a son. Let me tell you, that aged man hadn't prayed that prayer in 20 years. He's old because most of the time when you get older, you're glad to see the kids come and then go. Come on now, all the grandparents in here, you know what I'm talking about. Actually, take no offense. You're here with me and definitely covering my grandbaby's ears right now. And so he's not looking for a child. That was a prayer that he prayed when he was a young man when he watched his wife cry in the corner because all the other, uh, you know, ladies that was in her little Bible study groups there at the synagogue in the little village that he lived in had children and she went year after year after year barren and in their eyes she would have been cursed by God. But how many of you know that's why you got to be careful? God doesn't work on your timetable. I tell you, that's why the prayers that, he, that you pray in faith, God's got a scribe. An angel of God is writing them down. And that's why if you won't give up, come on and you'll believe. I want you to know God can bring it about. Zechariah, God's heard your prayer and your wife's going to have a son. Uh, me, Lord, have you looked? And he doubted. He stumbled quickly in unbelief. And you know what the angel of the Lord said to him? He said, because you have stumbled in unbelief, he said, you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to speak, he said, until this comes to pass. But he said, let me tell you about your son. He's going to be the forerunner to the coming Christ. He's going to be a light. He's going to go in front of him. God's going to raise him up as a prophetic voice in the strength and the power of Elijah. 
And so Zechariah, after spending an extra amount of time in the holy place, goes out. He's muted. All the people have begun to wonder, what in the world is that old priest doing in there? He's taking forever. You think I'm long-winded. He's taking forever to get through his service. And finally, he comes out, and they want to communicate. They can tell by the ghostly look on his face, something's happened. And they want to say, tell us what happened. He cannot tell. All he can do is just start. He doesn't know sign language. He had never had an opportunity to learn. He's just trying to show. And so he goes back home, and he is greeted by Elizabeth, and he can't even convey to her what's taking place. But let me tell you what's taking place. God's spoken a prophetic word. His mouth doesn't function right now, but God was doing something in the rest of Zechariah's. And Elizabeth didn't know about it just yet. So she got up the next day and she headed off to her busy schedule. And her busy schedule that day included meeting with some of the ladies down at the book club. She met with the book club about 10 a.m. because they were studying the book of Ruth in the Bible. And so she really enjoyed that. And so when she would finish that, then she would go to the garden club. And then when she went to the garden club, then it would be time for second breakfast. They didn't have lunch. They just had second breakfast. And the ladies, they would talk. And then from there, they wouldn't tell anybody. They'd slip off and play a little bit of Bible bingo. And then when they finished Bible bingo, and then she would go and she would volunteer a little bit of time at the local hospital. And when she finished, she was exhausted. And she makes her way back home, and she comes in, and she opens the door, and the house is clean as a pen. And there's the smell of supper already cooked. The floors are mopped, and the carpet has been vacuumed. And she she says, what has got into you? He can't say what he wants to say, but there is a twinkle in his eye. So they have dinner. She gets up and starts to clean the table off, and he stops her because he's already drawn her bath. But before he sends her off to the bath, she gets a foot rub and a back rub. And she goes off to the bath. She comes out. And everything's cleaned up. She's got her robe on. She's talking, telling about her day, everything. And all of a sudden, she hears. See, he can't even speak to Alexa and say, Alexa, turn me on some music. <laughs> so she's had to, come on now. So he's had to program it on the YouTube while she was gone. <laughs> and so she grabs the remote, he grabs the remote control just as she comes out. She's got her hair up in the towel. She's got her robe on. And all of a sudden, he, she hears Baby, lock them doors and turn the lights down low. <laughs> turn some music on. It, all he's doing is lip syncing. He's just lip syncing right there. <laughs> I ain't got no place to go. I hope you understand. And she's like, are you out of your mind? You did. You did stay. They told me you stayed too long in the church yesterday. Are you out of your mind? And he's over there snuggling up on her, and she ain't got no part of it. She's reminded him, what's the last time? Have you remembered? We won't even talk about it. The medicine didn't help. All right, I'm going to preach it whether y'all want to hear it or not. I want you to see that there's a cultural context here that I'm going to take you somewhere in just a moment to allow you to understand God did speak about it. And it hasn't worked as of yet, but he grabs that remote one more time, and he puts on Conway Twitty. And all of a sudden, Conway comes on, and it gets to that one line, because it's worked before, and he knew it would work this time, too. When he says, when I see a lot of Decembers coming in your face, and your auburn hair has faded, 
and silver takes its place. He's lip syncing to her because, again, he can't say anything. He said, you'll be just as lovely, and I'll still be around. And if I can, you know, I'd still just love to. And it was on right then, and love had come back to the preacher's house. Glory to God. And God brought his loins to life, and that dry, withered wound of Elizabeth came to life. And in that night, conception took place. Because the prophet of God, the angel of God, had spoken to the, the, the heart of Zechariah and said, if you'll obey my voice, it wouldn't come by immaculate conception. It would come by sexual interaction between an aged couple. But God said, I'm bringing forth something through you. Come on now. And so Elizabeth, how does she even know she's pregnant? She hadn't had a menstrual cycle in years. That's why the Bible says she hid herself for five months. It took about movement with the baby before she could finally confirm. Oh, couldn't you just see her sitting in at the bridge club now? Uh, that second breakfast, those ladies, she didn't tell anybody about it, but the ladies started wondering, what in the world is going with Elizabeth? She's got a glow about her, but she's eating everything on the table. <laughs> Some of those sisters are whispering in the backdrop because it's like, she didn't even let me finish my meal. She done reached over there and pulled something off my plate. <laughs> Five months, that's the way she stayed. She, so she's active. Life is growing on the inside of her. Are y'all out there today? Come on. And then the sixth month, the Bible picks the story up again. Now it changes channels. The same angel's got a new assignment. This time, instead of an aged woman whose womb was barren, here's a woman whose womb is alive, but she doesn't have a husband. And the angel Gabriel comes in unto her, and he says, Hail Mary. You're familiar with those words, right? And it's not talking about the immaculate reception made many long years in a football game. Hail Mary, he speaks to her, thou art highly favored among women, for the Lord has chosen you, and the Lord's going to come upon you, and there's going to be something conceived in your womb. And he's going to deliver his people from their sins, glory to God. But you know what? Now Mary asked a fair question that contrasts from the question that Zechariah Zechariah legitimately had prayed a prayer 20 years ago, but he hadn't prayed that prayer in a long, long time. But now Mary asked a fair question. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She's not married. She's a spouse, but she's not married. She's had no sexual interaction. And the angel of the Lord said that the Spirit of God's going to come over you. And the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. And that holy thing that shall be born inside thee shall be called the Son of the Most High God. And God said, I'll give him the kingdom of his father David. And of his kingdom and of his rule and of his reign, there shall be no end. Glory to God. And when Mary heard that word from the angel, she said, Lord, let it be. My God, she said, let it be according to the word of the Lord. But an interesting, an interesting thing takes place. So Mary now, as the Spirit of God's come over her virginal womb, goes to me. And this is where we're going to learn something. As we get ready in a moment, we're going to close this message out. But I want you to see something. Does God speak about whether life begins in the womb or outside the womb? I'm going to show you in a moment. And so these two pregnant women get together. So Mary rises up. She heard about the angel said, well, let me tell you, Mary, you're not the only one that God's done something in. Your cousin Elizabeth, Elizabeth, I can see Mary. Elizabeth, are you sure? Elizabeth, in her old age, is conceived. She's six months with child. Mary said, I got to see that. And so Mary gets up immediately, and the Bible says with haste, she goes into the hill country of Judea. 
And there she stands outside the door of Zechariah's house, and she begins to knock. And now Elizabeth is in the kitchen. And she says, Zechariah, can you get the door? Because Zechariah, Zechariah, and he's asleep on the couch. And she's like, Zechariah, can you get the door? He wakes up, and Elizabeth says, now, your voice, your vocal cords are broken, but your legs are not. Can you get the door? It's been six months since that magical night, obviously. And so Zechariah, without the ability to say anything, goes to the door. He opens the door, and there's this young 14 to 16-year-old girl that the Spirit of the living God on the days preceding her trip has overshadowed her virginal womb, and the life of Genesis is inside of her, and she yells out, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, it's me, Mary. And when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, when she heard the voice of many waters, the babe on the inside of her womb began to leap for joy. Glory to God. Oh my God, I get so excited when I think about it. And Elizabeth began to shout. She had, you think Pentecost happened in Acts 2. Pentecost happened in the home of Zechariah because the Bible says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Mary was filled with the Holy Ghost. And John on the inside of her is dancing up and down and he is worshiping God inside his womb, his mother's womb. Man, it is a powerful story. I weep, I get excited, I run, I dance every time I read about it. But now I want to show you something today. That's verses 41 and 44. Let's put it back up here. Let's read it carefully. Now let my preacher slide over and let my teacher emerge to show you something. Because this is dear to my heart. It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation. I want you to see I didn't make this up. The what? Read it carefully. Say it one more time. Leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 44. Read it together. For lo, now Elizabeth speaking, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, what? So he did what? He did what? He, he, he leaped my womb for what? For joy. For joy. The babe. So now, now, in our belief, life has begun inside the womb. We might even go further and say it began before the womb. She was just blessed to be able to, be able to hold and, and pass that life. But I want to show you something. Let me show you as, I, as I'm going to transition this and close on this. I, now, don't forget that. Let me teach you a little bit that, that, that I learned in my study. Shane, Joe, y'all remember this. Years ago, we went to Israel. And when we went to Israel, we went to a place where they taught us about the interrelations between Jews and Christians. And those two guys taught us that were really sharp rabbis. And that one younger man especially taught us about how to study Scripture. How the Hebrews, how from a child. He said one of the ways to learn about Scripture is to learn what a word means is to see it in numerous passages. Read about it in its original language and let the context of numerous passages, if it's consistent in those numerous passages, then that's the defined intent of the author. The author is not necessarily the man whose uh, hand penned it, but the author is God. Right? That's what we do. Jace, our theologian would say, what is that called? Exegesis, maybe? Is that close? Maybe? No? Exegesis, exegesis, that's what you said. 
something close. But, but, but it's the study of Scripture, right? It's just the study of Scripture. And, and so let me show you something. So, so, you've got two, so you've got this word. I'll tell you what this word is. The word babe that you read in Luke's gospel, verses 1, verses 44 and 44, you saw that two times, didn't you, on Scripture? In the original language of Greek, it is brephos, almost like breakfast, but you could just say it's brephos. It's translated eight times in the New Testament. The first two usages is here in Luke 1, the unborn babe John in Elizabeth's womb. Where is it used again? Real quickly, just to put this together, all you got to do is turn one chapter over, Luke 2. And in the 12th verse, let's see what it says. Now, this is familiar. You know this passage. This is now when Jesus is born. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the, you shall find the what? Say it one more time. I want you to hear this. You've got to be educated because it, it, it's not enough to us just yell about these things. We've got to be able to sit down and have dialogue with someone who's voting at a booth that's saying, you know what, I don't believe that, I, that, that, that life begins in the womb. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that. You've got to be able to say, well, well, what are you basing your belief on? Because here's what the Scripture says. So look at this, verse 12, and you shall sign a sign to you, and you shall find the what? The babe. Now, 16th verse. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph, and the what? And the babe. So listen to this. In Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verses 44 and through 44, concerning the child John in the womb of Mary, the word brephos is used, and God said it's a babe. And then in Luke's gospel, chapter number 2, the little child, the infant that's now wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in the manger, when the shepherds get there, God said it's a babe. So why am I coming along to tell you this? Because God said, if it's a babe outside of the womb, then God's, and God said it's a babe inside the womb, then it is a babe, right? It is a babe. And that's why we say, choose life that you may live and your seed after you. And it is our wholehearted belief, and mine here today as your pastor, is that as a believer in Christ, you can find no scriptural example in his life and teaching to validate abortion. If you are a Christian, don't let the corruption of this age blind you to the truth. This very issue should move you to separate from the Democratic Party. Yes, I said it. It should, that very issue alone. Say it is not a woman's God-given right to choose to abort the babe in her womb. It's her God-given right and responsibility to carefully incubate that life and transition it from one state of existence to another. Come on, church family. As a Christian believer, male or female, your worldview, including abortion, should be shaped by the clear life and teachings of Christ. Come on. And so you say, Pastor, what can we do? I'm closing around. What can we do? First of all, be aware of the Democratic Party's full and wholehearted support for abortion. Read the platform. Read the platform. Often it's hidden under reproductive rights or women's health care, abortion, abortion on demand, partial birth abortion, full-term abortion. And some now, as I said last week, even suggest that the right of the mother extends to when she actually gives birth to the baby and the baby's lying on the table. The, the governor of Virginia, go back, go back. The governor of Virginia said that even at that time, he believes that she should have the right to make her choice whether that baby lives or dies. Come on now, church. It's time for us to, to, to call that out in the church. The secular world should be, can be blinded, but the church ought not be blinded. 
So be, be aware of the Democratic Party's support for Planned Parenthood. Joe Biden has promised that he will, by executive order, undo everything. And the strongest pro-life president that we've had in our history, everything that he's done, Joe, Joe Biden has promised to go back and undo. Be reminded of Planned Parenthood's black market selling of aborted babies, body parts, it, tissues, and organs. Be reminded that when a Christian a filmmaker or an activist against abortion in California went in and, and, and you remember how he recorded hidden, hidden recordings and uncovered what Planned Parenthood was doing? And then they prosecuted, not Planned Parenthood, they prosecuted him. And you know who the prosecuting attorney was? Kamala Harris. So you got to be aware of that, church family. So, 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 what, so again, of all organizations that started with racist intent, none is more blatantly racist than Planned Parenthood. Yet liberals often overlook its racist origins uh, and believe it has been redeemed. But they can't do the same for any other institution inside the government, but they can do it for that. Last thing today, what do you need to do? You need to support pro-life organizations. Accessibility to aid, instruction, and adoption, if necessary, for a mother who feels as if she cannot raise her child. There are many organizations that support pro-life pro causes before and after the womb. And did you know that right here in the Assemblies of God, right here in the state of Arkansas, we have one of the most fantastic in all the nation called Highlands Children's Home? Did you know that a young girl in our community could be pregnant, not know what to do, have a broken family, a family's not able to help her, and she can go down there and she can live in a home where someone will teach her how to be a mother all the way until she gives birth to that child, and then at that time, then she can make her decision whether she feels like she needs to give it into adoption or whether she has gained enough skills to be able to go back and raise that child. Did you know, and since its founding, Highlands Children's Home has placed over 3,000 children that would have been consumed and burned in an incinerator. They have helped them lead that young mother all the way to giving birth to that child and placing it in adoption. Come on now. Our church, our church supports Hillcrest Children's Home, Hillcrest Children's Ministry. Or there's, there's, I think there's a new name for it. But we'll do even more. You write a check, you put it, we'll add it to that. But we'll also do this. Today it stands Sunday. The other thing you can do that I believe extends pro-life causes is you can help with fostering children or orphan children or in adoption. Right? That is a continuation. It's the next level. It's not just about preventing abortion or teaching people that abortion should not be the choice. But it's about what happens after. We've got to be more active in that arena, don't we, church family? As well. So I want you to know today, if any time over the next week, take this week, I'll remind you, if you ever want to write an additional offering check, I will divide it. And I'm going to go ahead and go out and say that we as the church family will put $1,000 as a starting block to be able to give to Hillcrest Children's Home or and also the call locally. And we support both of them on monthly, but we ought to do something even more right now. And if you want to add anything to it, we'll start with that one beginning point, and then we'll add to it what you give to us to just say, we're going to do more than just shout at the darkness. We're going to help others have an opportunity to be able to bring that child to full life. Amen and amen. The political issues of our generation, as Shane and the worship team come back today, have divided the country, maybe even beyond unification. I know I preached a long time. I do not apologize for it. Political issues of our generation have divided the country, maybe even beyond unification. But the church can be united. We can be united. Some people call themselves pro-life Democrats. I believe that's honorable, but it's futile. 
I'm saying it whether you're responding back. It's futile. It's honorable, but it's futile. Actually, it's an oxymoron, to be honest. To be a Democrat is to be pro-choice. That's where their leaders say the platform of the Democratic Party clearly defines itself. So I'm challenging Christians that I know and love, and I know a, a few, not a lot, that are, that are still in the Democratic Party. And you can see, you know me personally. I have no malice in my heart, but you know the sincerity of my heart is I want to teach. I've shown you in the Word of God where God said, I'm going to call it a babe in the womb, and I'm going to call it a babe outside the womb. And if it's called a babe in the womb and babe outside the womb, it's a babe. It's not a fetus, it's not just human tissue, it's not human flesh, it's not a part of the mind. It is connected because God said, I'm going to ask you to incubate that life and that purpose and that destiny that I have. So I'm calling all Christians out of that party and organization off that platform. Pastor, what can we do today? We can pray for the unborn. We've prayed for the orphans. We've prayed for foster children. We've prayed for those that are considering uh, adoption. But we can pray for the unborn today and their mothers, right? Number two. And we can pray for those who have had an abortion who now struggle with guilt and remorse. To find healing in Christ. For God to give them a vision. That one day, if they have faith in Christ, when they step out of this world, they'll suddenly be in the presence of a living God. Where they will meet somewhere, as the old song said, just over in glory land. A fully grown, mature, glorified, what was previously an infant, a babe, that never got to live on this side of eternity but how I many the Bible says God's angels call them into his eternal kingdom? And they'll be waiting there. And oh, what a reunion day that will be. Number four, we can pray against those who propagate it. I tell you what, Shane's done gone into warfare with a song. Are y'all out there today? Come on, we are at war. I preached several weeks. You're at war whether you know it or not. We're at war. I just pray that it stays nonviolent. But we're at war in the heavenlies, but we're also at war in the earth. We use our voices, so we pray against those who propagate it, and we look to Christ. We look to Christ, and I believe, if, I, if, you, if you'll allow me to, remember that word, brofos. I had to say it sounds like breakfast, so I wouldn't forget what it, you know, because I, I, I struggle with English, and then I try to quote Greek to y'all. So... I shared with you there were four, there's actually eight, there's actually eight passages in Scripture where that word is translated, four of which are in the first two book, or chapters of Luke. The other was like the Apostle Peter said, as a newborn babe, desire sincere milk of the Word of God that you may grow thereby, correct? That's another place where it's used. But here's another one. The Bible says, and they brought infants to Jesus, brophos, to Jesus, and he blessed them. He put his hands on them, and he blessed them in the name of the Lord. The brophos was blessed in the womb by the anointing of God that was upon Christ. Because when Mary spoke, Elizabeth heard, but so did John. And his prophetic destiny began to rise up even then inside his mother's womb. The brophos had the life of God stirring him. His destiny was being formed right there. Just like God told Jeremiah, before I even formed you in your mother's womb, I called you to be a prophet, and I sanctified you for this moment. So Brophus, alive, God said it's life in the womb, it's life outside the womb. It's a babe outside the womb, and it's a babe inside the womb. And we should not hide in darkness or ignorance. As Christians, we ought to be able to agree on this matter. In Jesus' name, we stand up. We stand up.
Father, I love you. Let's take a moment. Let's worship. Let's pray. Before the song, before they lead us in song, let's take a moment. Let's pray. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's call on. Let's call on the name of the Lord. Let's call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's call on his name today. Jace, where's that microphone real quick? You can do it. Come on, Ashley's going to come up here and pray. She didn't know until right now. Didn't you used to work with Hillcrest a little bit? Don't preach to him, but just pray. Come on, let the Spirit of God, she can show you there's life in the womb. That's bro fast. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray for the unborn right now. 